Sci-Fi for Me presents Jason Hunt and Timothy Harvey. This is the H2O Podcast. everyone and welcome we are still bunkered in i tell you i'm ready for this to be done i think we all are welcome everybody my name is jason hunt and i am timothy harvey and let me turn your microphone up just a little bit here and as we go through the evening, we are going to be talking a little bit more on our topic from last week, which is stories for the apocalypse. Things, what we can recommend as far as books and uh, movies and TV shows and wherewithal. So um, one thing that we did not talk about last week was podcasts, so we'll get into some of that again tonight. And uh, Robert in the chat, um, he has he has good news about his socks. Uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to this, Robert. Um, now, um, I have to say, those of you who are watching live, <coughs> I forgot to click a button and so there's a little bit there's going to be a little bit of a delay between uh seeing uh any comments in the live chat and when we respond so my apologies for that i forgot to change a setting before we went live so uh robert says after midnight on saturday a person or persons unknown delivered the socks to this front porch well congratulations that's great so as i'm i'm hoping that means that the order has is has now complete, and you have everything that you uh, that you were looking for. So um, that's that's very good news. And I know there are other people who have been listening, who have been uh, who have been invested in the sock saga. So I'm glad I'm glad that we have. Uh, we have some closure on that. That's that's good. So congratulations there, Robert. Um, those of you who are those of you who are new to the show, uh, what Robert is talking about with his socks, uh, this is part of uh, an arrangement that we have with SuperheroStuff.com, uh, which can get you ten percent off your order when you use the promo code Sci-Fi for Me ten, and. Uh, Robert has has taken advantage of that. We do appreciate that, and uh, finally got all of his order uh, in place. I hope that's uh, that's always good to to see. Hey, I got my stuff. So that's good. So sock pirate struck before mail has made it to me. Both neighbors. Ah, okay. Well. At some point, maybe we'll uh, we'll order some socks and and not send them to Robert <laughs> and see what happens. Maybe we'll maybe we'll ship them we'll ship them to the uh, to the mail 
the male recovery center in Atlanta and see if maybe they'll land in the same place that our, our piece of equipment has disappeared to. Sure. All right, so, uh, so we have uh, mentioned our topic within the first five and a half minutes of the show, so I think we're doing okay. Yeah. <laughs> Better average than some nights. Well, and and uh, and it's it's going to be a goal of mine for a while, just to see because uh, some of the some of the studies, some of the you know, I'm always doing research. I'm always doing homework to try to figure out how to do these better and how to get our get our audience to grow and whatnot. Sure. And uh, I have run across mention of some statistics. That some people, some people give it 15 minutes. Some people give it five. So we're going to err on the side of caution, get our topic in on five minutes, and get going. <laughs> but the sock saga has held the attention of a number of people in our audience. So you know that's, it's important to get that in there in the beginning so people will know what's going on. Can't argue with that. I can't. I can't. Nor would I. <laughs> so, okay. <laughs> so uh, last week we started talking about uh, different things in books, movies, etc. that um, we recommended for reading and watching and so we thought we would continue that tonight to get a little bit more uh, specific into some different things. So you want to you want to start Tim on on some sure. of the stuff that you've got cuz you you've mentioned podcasts. Right. That's something we didn't talk about last week, so why don't we start there? Right. So I'm a big podcast listener. And a lot of that came out of the last uh, four or five years when my day job was in uh, a pathology career for four years. And so I spent a lot of time in my car by myself running around uh, the city doing the things that they do. And so I ended up listening to a ton of audiobooks and podcasts. And this is stuff I hadn't actually done a lot of. I'd certainly listened to audio, you know, shows on audio before right. uh, when I was a kid of course sitting there um, with my dad listening to NPR do the Star Wars saga you know so I mean you know I grew up on the the shadow and the Lone Ranger and all these things when I was a kid and this stuff was still being aired this is back in the days of AM radio right. you know once, once you know FM really became the thing there just there wasn't much there for the the audio performance uh, field. I mean, there just wasn't a lot there. It was still happening, but in terms of its reach, in terms of it being on uh, widespread on the airwaves, was just, it didn't have the, the, the impact that it used to have when radio was the way that a lot of our entertainment got out in uh, the mass media. Yeah. Uh, TV killed the radio star. Uh, <laughs> not, uh, not, you know, video didn't kill it. Uh, TV killed it long before. But the funny thing happened, of course, is that when the internet comes along and becomes such a thing, a lot of people started looking at it as a performance medium for radio drama or internet drama or podcasts. Yeah. And of course, a few years ago, it really exploded in the genre world. Um, and one of the big movers and shakers there, and the one that, that, that to this day, no one can quite put their finger on why it was a success that it was, um, was, you know, uh, this creepy little podcast <laughs> that seemed to come out of nowhere um, about a, you know, 
a little town in the middle of nowhere that happens to be a uh things are odd there mm-hmm. um you know it's got a little uh, it's a radio show about a radio host and um it's uh really just exploded into uh, a medium that that a lot of people really kind of seemed to copy it initially um and the uh, Welcome to Night Vale, of course, is the one that I'm talking about. Right. And and now it was not the first of these genre podcasts to get out there in the world. The message actually preceded it. And the message was, I believe, an eight part series that was a science fiction series about uh, a science team that is assigned to research. Uh, this mysterious message that seems to have come from an extraterrestrial source that has a lot of data in it. And they try and figure it out. And things, as so often do with mysterious messages from space, do not go according to plan. Now, every every show I'm going to talk about is either out there in the world for free. So, wait a minute. <coughs> Excuse me. So, so, things not going according to plan. This is this is a new concept for me because <laughs> things always go according to sure, plan for me, sure. right? Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Yeah. So um so there's just I mean pretty much honestly at this point, if there's a genre that you like, there's a podcast for it. Whether it's gaming or science fiction or horror, fantasy, romance thriller are there any western podcasts out because i don't i i I Um, haven't heard mention of any of those i'll be honest i have not looked for any western podcast it would not surprise me yeah uh, because there certainly is um a huge range of them out there like i said most of this stuff is either going to be available for free or in some cases we've seen a few that have recently become things like stitcher exclusives yeah things like that. And one of them I'm going to talk about is one. And I'm going to have, when I get to that one, I'm going to have a few, uh, your mileage may vary warnings on that. And that's actually one of the, your mileage may vary warnings is that most of these are, are supported by things like Patreon or, uh, you know, they have some sort of support thing where the fans are actually helping to finance these. Um, wouldn't that be and, nice? Yeah. And some of them actually, you know, there's a long-running joke that goes, uh, speaking of socks, that Bombus socks or, uh, you know, the various different... There's a handful of advertisers who have just really leaned into the podcast thing. Mm. And so you see here these, you know, and they all have the same script <laughs> that they send out to these. So every podcast you're listening to, it's like, and here's the Bombas socks ad, or here's the whatever, you know, there's, you know, purple mattress or whatever it is, right? Um, so you get used to that after a while. These, a lot of these things are supported, of course, by commercial sponsors or by fans. I just had an idea. Yes. I just had a fun, brilliant little idea. Mm-hmm. What if, since we don't actually have advertisers yet, what if we were to open up a submissions process where our listeners could send us 
fake 30 second commercials for I mean, whatever made up product they wanted to do could be fun sure could be a disaster could be a disaster could be <laughs> fun i might yeah, i say might give it a, a minute uh, Robert, I have not listened to the Revolutions podcast, um, but that actually is, uh, I am a fan of, of history podcasts as well, although you're right, there's not genre, but I am, like I said, a fan of the history podcasts, so uh, I will definitely check that one out. Yeah, that does sound um, interesting. Yeah, so so the message is one, um, and it's a science fiction based one. Of course, Welcome to Night Vale is a curious blend of things. It is both a comedy, it's a tragedy. Um, it's very much the horror genre, um, but the writers seem to enjoy doing a lot of things that are unexpected. It's an odd, odd show, yeah. and that's part of the appeal. And one of the things that we found with a lot of these podcasts is that while there is still no hard and fast, this is the recipe for making a good podcast, um, these ones that really have caught on seem to have a... Um, in many ways, the people behind them have a very distinctive plan of what story they are trying to tell. Right. There are a few notable exceptions, and I'll get to those. Uh, <laughs> again, some of these I'm going to recommend because they're really interesting to listen to, but with caveats. Yeah. So <clears throat> uh, the message, uh, I would recommend actually Welcome to Night Vale. I find it very, very entertaining. Um, it's one of those that I will not listen to for a while, and then I'll just binge all the stuff I've missed, uh, just back to back to back. Right. Um, and uh, and it's been going on for a long time. And as they have a couple of books out, um, the audiobook versions are narrated by Cecil, who's the main character uh, of. Uh, in fact, in many ways, Cecil was the voice of Welcome to Night Vale for a long, long time. And then other actors started showing up as voice actors. Um, he would be describing what somebody said in early episodes. And then later it would be, they had actors come in to play the parts. Um, but it's basically evolved into this full cast production, uh, led of course uh, by uh, a character who based on descriptions in the show is very definitely not human, or at least not your standard issue. Uh, usual number of eyes, maybe? It's hard to tell. Um, it's an interesting character. Um, now, a show that kind of started off as a, at least in the early days, trying to capture something of the Kingfall, I'm oh, sorry, the uh, the Welcome to Nightmare Vale vibe was a show called King Falls AM. Now, King Falls AM is one of my absolute favorite podcasts that is currently being made. I cannot praise this show enough. The writing crew is fantastic. They uh, do some really interesting things in terms of story. Um, it is a unabashedly liberal show. Do not, if you if you happen to find that sort of thing a little much, there's one of the warnings I got for you there. <laughs> um, they are not, you know, they're... Within the context of the show, there is a range of political opinions. But yeah. just so you're aware, um, that's you know that's part of what the show's DNA is baked in there. Um, that said, it's a show about uh, aliens kidnapping people. It's a show about uh, secret conspiracies. It's a show about 
portals to demonic uh, realms. It's a show about uh, friendship, family, friends, love, hate. I mean, it's all there. <clears throat> and it's developed a really huge fan base for a podcast and a very vocal one. Um, the early episodes are a little rocky. They're a little, yeah, they could use some work. Uh, but the show really has turned into a really high production value show. The premise is is a L.A. shock jock ends up moving to this small town in the middle of basically the, the mountains and discovers that the town has a lot of very strange things that happen there. Uh, basically starting off with the fact that he's given misdirections by the ghost of one of the uh, you know former <laughs> formerly living member of the town who shows up and basically just, you know, helps people get lost sure. um, and you know it just turns into all sorts of, of at least initially it seems to have that kind of vibe where it's like weird things happen it's kind of funny um, but by the end of the first season and really mo uh, very much into the current series of seasons it's actually become a show about a real demonic threat that's trying to make its way into our world and the very small and very scared group of people who happen to be standing in its way going, somebody's going to try and stop the end of the world. Um, and, uh, and it's, you know, it's funny and sad and, and, but the writing is really, really good. Um, one, like I said, a show I highly, highly recommend. Um, and then, uh, <clears throat> Limetown, you may have seen that, uh, Facebook TV had Limetown as a TV series recently. Um, and I think it, I saw something about that. I, I watched it all. It was a pretty interesting adaptation. It's relatively faithful to the first season. Yeah. Uh, the first season of Limetown is really, really interesting speculative fiction. It's a little bit science fiction, a little bit of horror. Mostly it's speculative fiction. The technology is, you know, just a little bit out of our range, right? Right. Uh, and it's an investigative show. And what was interesting is that it was one of the first shows that set out to make itself sound like it was a real thing. And there were folks who, after like two or three episodes, were into the show before they realized this was not an actual news program. This was not an investigative reporting podcast. It was actually designed to be that way. And there were people who were actually angry. Initially, they've been deceived, and it's like we tell you guys every episode that there are people who play these parts. It's like uh, when Orson Welles did The War of the Worlds, right? At the very beginning of the show, you know, mm -hmm. Mercury Theater on the air presents The War of the Worlds, and then the, the rest of it is just all straight show, and anybody that tuned in late, right? Well, and this the structure of, of of the show really much, very much was we had just become familiar with the news kind of uh, and investigative reporting kind of podcast that we were getting at the time. So it fit into that audio sound so very well. Right. And the first season is really quite gripping. The second season, here's a caveat, the second season is incredibly divisive among fans of the show. Some people think it's a really interesting, almost meta take on the story and some folks are like livid furious anger mm. about how much it was they feel like this second season was a complete and utter betrayal of what's going on and it's not until the final episode of the show of the second season where there's a twist 
and people either love the twist or they hate it. There's no middle ground. Sounds like uh, another franchise that uh, we're familiar with. Oh, we? no, 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 no. <laughs> Not even on the same level. No. Uh, personally, personally, I lean toward the meta end of it. I found it to be an interesting twist. My problem is that I don't think it quite works. I think it was a, I think it was a bold move that doesn't quite play out. So if you stop at the end of the first season, because it's got an endpoint, yeah. um, I can definitely recommend listen to the first season. It's really, really good. Buyer beware on season two. <laughs> it's, um, now, it was, there's a lot of folks who believe that really the their decision to really kind of look at it as a something to move out of the audio realm into TV mm. was a factor in, you know, and we've talked about that to some degree with the, with the comic book companies, not, you know, let's make the thing that's going to be a movie. Well, no, concentrate on your comic book first. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> now, a completely different kind of science fiction show, which is almost like, it's well, it's like, what if Deep Space Nine was a comedy? Um, what if the Deep Space Nine medical department was a comedy and that's eos 10 yeah and it's the story of a it's a story of a doctor who is uh shipped off to eos 10 which is of course a space station that looks some sound this described an awful lot like <clears throat> deep space nine with the serial numbers uh <clears throat> filed off um but he's sent out there because the chief medical officer of the station is a belligerent alcoholic and uh, somebody's got to keep, but he's a brilliant surgeon, so somebody's got to keep him in line. Sure. And uh, the nurse might be a bit of a gun nut who is inclined to shoot the patients before actually treating them. <laughs> and their biggest, their number one patient is a hypochondriac who is not, in fact, human and therefore cannot get any of the human diseases that he thinks he has. Um, but it also, over the course of, I think we're in season three or four at this point, turns into a dimension hopping series it turned into a political thriller about a government covering up a massacre it turns into um all sorts of really just interesting depths to a show that will often go for the cheap body humor joke right um and uh it's very funny uh but it's also uh eh, episodes are about 20 minutes long it's a it's an easily digested series. It's the kind of thing you could burn through in a day uh, if you just sat there and listened to it all. Um, but I laugh a lot listening to that show. Um, it's all it's very clever humor. And again, if you if it feels a lot like Star Trek is a comedy, um, a very odd comedy, but Star Trek is a comedy no. um, from told from the point of view of you know Doctor McCoy and Nurse Chapel. Um, if uh, if they were if, if they were to some degree aware that they were stuck in a comedy, <laughs> um, now the bridge. There's a here. Here, I mean, the next two are going to be a little obscure, and they're not actually produced on a regular basis, and that's a concern because they're actually quite interesting. Uh, the bridge, which I think probably only has about eight or nine episodes out, um, and there is some question whether or not it's actually going to come back. Yeah. Um, is a really fascinating alternate history show about a transatlantic bridge that basically was built from Europe to the U.S. and is mostly abandoned now because mysterious events happened. 
Um, and it's told from the point of view of this small crew of people who are manning one of these outposts on the bridge because somebody's got to. And it's a it's a little bit of a mixture of a ghost story and a sea monster story. Uh, and like I said, it's, it's an alternate history. Uh, it takes place uh, right about now, or actually a little bit in the past. Right. Uh, and uh, but yeah, very just kind of an inter- It's an interesting show. And I like if you listen to like the what's out now, you'll get an interesting story. But be warned, it doesn't production schedule on it seems to be really, really erratic. Yeah. And that's unfortunately one of the problems for a lot of these fiction podcasts is that because it costs so much to make these and do it well, because you want to pay your actors. Uh, and a lot of these folks, that's their what the, one of their biggest things is they're going to pay the people who are going to be, you know, uh, contributing their talent. Um, or at least try to. And I, would, then just, I would love to pay the people who contribute their talent here. But, I, know you you know. I, know you, I know you wish you could. Um, but a lot of these things, a lot of times it also comes down to schedule. Because a lot of these actors are working actors and getting them into a studio right. or having them time to record uh, can be a real challenge. Um, and a couple more I want to talk about before... Before before you go to your next one, speaking of alternate timelines and realities, did you see? Um, well, I get, you did because you were on the show Saturday morning. We had the news that we're getting another installment for Life on Mars, mm-hmm. which is yeah. gonna, uh, John Sim is back as right. as uh, Sam Tyler, and he's the the police officer who has a car accident. And he wakes up in the 1970s. Right. And this one apparently is going to hop between the 70s, the 80s, and an alternate modern era. Whatever that means. So we get a we get a finale for Life on Mars. Well, and, and this is one of the things that if you can find Life on Mars out there in the world, and I'm, we're talking about the British version, not the American version, which... It was, it was interesting... It was interesting. The ending again was very divisive for a lot of people who watched it. Uh, I, and and I think the ending on that one was probably necessitated by the fact that they didn't get a renewal. If they had gotten a second season, it probably would have gone a different direction. I think. It, yeah, that's entirely possible. Um, but it, yeah, it was definitely one of those where, <clears throat> if you can watch the original, we encourage you to watch the original. Okay. The American, you know, there's a, there's a grand history of British shows and American shows making it across one way or the other and getting an adaptation. Uh, the Office, of course, is one of the great success stories in that regard. Um, one of the... Um, there have been a far more shows that have not translated well. There's a, there's a British show. Um, it's a Terry Nation show, Survivors, mm-hmm. which didn't get translated into... Uh, an American version. They they did an updated reboot. Uh, what four or five years ago, and it was not that good. the The original the original was much better, and it was. Um, yeah, it was it was really it was really intriguing. It, it took me a little bit to get into it, but once once it started rolling into what we were what what the story was about. It was really interesting to follow these people through through what they were dealing with. It's another show, I think, that in, in many ways, it's kind of, in a way, it's like Akira. 
Um, it was produced at a time in British culture where the, the, what was going on in the show, even though it was a um, science fiction setting in many ways, post-apocalyptic mm -hmm. event setting, um, was a lot of things, it was about, in many ways, the culture in England in, through, it was some political and social commentary happening behind, you know, you know, in a way that the way that Star Trek would occasionally do in the right. in, in its original series, and because of that, <clears throat> some of the storylines and the character development, and all that stuff, had a weight to it that actually has held up over the years. And so, when you have a show like that, or a story like that, or a novel like that that actually hits those beats, it ends up having you know the ability to stand the test of time. And if you're not, and if a show doesn't quite have that grounding in the culture that it's playing with you might end up with the, the bad idea of something like an american akira where right. you know we just don't have we don't have the, the the cultural underpinnings that a japanese telling of that story is going to have yeah based was, on the basis what was the other one um Oh, there was there was one. It was, and I can't remember the the the, the title it escapes me at the moment. But they had opened portals to prehistoric time. Primeval. Primeval. Yes, yes. the The first first two or three seasons of that are really really good, and then it kind of loses its way. And by the last season, I think it had pretty much gone off the rails from what I heard. I never I never saw that last season, but those first two or three seasons were fairly good. Yeah, and it's actually a good show to binge watch uh, for if you want a fix of sort of a mix of Jurassic Park, because it's, the, the portals actually work both past and future. Mm. So they're also dealing with the fact that there's a, there are life forms that have evolved in the future who are making their way through the portal too? So and sort of, it, sort of Jurassic Park meets um, Time Tunnel, or yeah. uh, or what was what was the other one? Um, oh, my my brain just refuses to work tonight. I there was I I had it in my head, and then you started talking, and then it it went out of my head. It'll come back. To you. It'll come back to you. Of course, at a point where you know. Three o'clock in the morning, just boing. Probably, yep. That's how it and works. I'll be and I'll be wide awake because mm -hmm. that's how it goes. So. All right, um, another one show I definitely encourage you to listen to. It is completed, so it had its, had its beginning, and middle, and end. It's called Wolf Three Five Nine. It is a science fiction uh, podcast about the handful of people who are working at a remote. Um, uh, space station orbiting the sun wolf 359 and what happens to them it's a little bit funny it's a it's often quite scary and it's really solid hard-ish science fiction mm. certainly there's you know you start bringing in aliens and things like that and, and you know speculation of course but it's it's a really well-crafted show with fantastic voice performances. Uh, and it's one of the shows that, honestly, if it could have just kept going, uh, people would have kept 
listening to it because the quality never actually dipped once it got off the, the first few episodes are a little bit rocky again like so many things else whether it's a tv show or a podcast or you know a film series a lot of times the first one can be like yeah the second one was better or whatever right so it's it's survived through the first few episodes um and and deal with the fact that douglas eiffel the main character is a little bit of a schmuck uh the first few episodes and he's never exactly a super nice person um but it's an interesting show about that character growing and the people around him and the things that they find themselves having to do because they find themselves in a first contact situation right. and it is uh it's extremely well done there are some live performances out there in the world you can find some of them on youtube uh, and they're fun to watch because they these are actors who do multiple voices in each show and watching the live versions of these shows where one actor will play the part and then literally run across the room to the other podium to play a different <laughs> character and then run back so much fun to watch uh, live shows of some of these things are just great but i highly recommend wolf 359 it is excellent science fiction um and extremely well done um it has uh four seasons and um, you get your you get your free money's worth out of this one. Some of the episodes are an hour, two hours long. Um, they are full productions, full special effects, sound, music, all the things. Um, it is a high, high quality production. And if you are interested in, if you're a science fiction fan, it's really one of the best science fiction podcasts I think that have have been made. Um, now, on the flip side of that. We have a few of the horror podcasts. Now, of course, I'm a horror fan. You tune in Saturday mornings. You can hear me talk about the horror news. Uh, and, of course, I've talked about horror stuff here on this show. Um, horror podcasts exploded all over the Internet. And there's a wide, wide range of quality. And some of them are really interesting ideas made by people who don't have the technical skills. Um, there's a couple I can think of off the top of my head that I'm not going to name. Um, but I listen to some of them anyway because you actually get to listen to somebody's skill set grow over the course of a season or two seasons. And um, sometimes the really bad ones are entertaining in their own way. But that's a personal choice. So you guys, you guys get to make your own and explore there yourselves. But there's a few that have become relatively big in the podcast world and have big audiences as well. Um, the Black Tapes and Tannis are both produced uh, by the same people. Terry Miles is the producer behind that. But this is one of the ones where I'm going to say buyer beware um, or free listener beware. Uh, mostly because Tannis has gotten behind a paywall now. So if you happen to be a listener of Tannis for the first several seasons, you are listening to it on their website. And I think you can still get the those episodes available through the, the individual show website right but now it's a stitcher exclusive uh and for a show that is very very interesting tennis also has um it may be maybe guilty of uh, story creep uh right. where you know it just sort of the first few seasons are really really interesting and bizarre and odd and as the longer the show goes on you may be losing an interest. Personally, I still am finding it interesting, 
but I also am aware that I don't feel any closer to a resolution in the story. Right. And there's some shows that can go on forever. There's some shows that can go, you know, <laughs> uh, and some shows that just shouldn't. And Tannis is, Tannis is a show that has been losing audience members uh, over the last several years because it feels like two steps forward, one step back, one yeah. step forward, two steps back in terms of the story. Now, The Black Tapes uh, was the first show produced by these people. And the first two seasons are really uh, almost a spiritual successor to The X-Files. All right. Sure. And uh, you've got a skeptical scientist and a young, um, um, not necessarily naive reporter, but just un unskilled in both science and mis and, and inexperienced, and inexperienced, yeah. um, who are who are looking into these things called the black tapes, which are these. Uh, the the scientist is a skeptic who has spent years debunking. Um, supernatural events, but the black tapes are the tapes he couldn't debunk. And so as they start looking into these and she, the reporter starts seeing that there's a story here, um, they start finding there, a lot of these black tapes are connected. And the first two seasons are really solid, supernatural mystery, creepy episodes. Season three, and you could stop, stop at, stop at the end of season two. <laughs> Season three is good. It, it, it feels like there's a little bit of a drop in quality, but the final episode of season three, which is half as long as the first two seasons, um, again, is, a, is one of those endings where the fans went, what? Yeah. What? Uh, and there have been rumors that it is A, going to be turned into a TV show. That was three years ago, and no news beyond uh, it was going to be turned into a TV show. And although we saw that, that's not true. We saw stuff actually last year where it popped up on a list of, of TV shows in production, but haven't heard anything since. Um, and there was an audio tease, I want to say a year, year and a half ago, that saying that the story isn't over. But um, we'll see. Okay, so, and, and, and again, from the same folks who brought you Tennis. So you can see there might be a bit of a trend here with this particular production company. Um, so again, your mileage may vary. Buyer beware. The first two seasons of both shows are fantastic. Tennis is on season six is the next one scheduled to come out. So, you know, you probably, I'd say you could give Tennis the first four seasons. Um, yeah. You're going to get some really interesting, creepy stories. Um, but you may get tired of the fact that it just keeps going without a whole lot of resolution to the, to the actual storyline. Yeah. Um, now a show that I is, is in its final season. It just kicked off its final season last week called the Magnus archives. It's a British podcast. If you are a Lovecraft fan, or if you're a fan of that kind of storytelling, this may be a podcast for you. Uh, it is the, tells the story of the Magnus Institute. And the researcher, the library, uh, the archivist uh, there, who uh, Jonathan Sims, who's actually played by a man named Jonathan Sims. Um, and uh, if you're familiar at all with the British band, the Brit uh, it's kind of a um, niche band called the uh, the Mechanisms. He's one of the singers in that, and it's sort of a 
science fiction themed space pirate thing. Um, I've heard some of their music. It's really kind of interesting, um, uh, but it's kind of an East thing. Anyway, he's he's one of the singers in, in that band. Um, but it's basically, you know, this group of people at this institute who are putting, they get these stories of weird events. And uh, initially, uh, the, John, the archivist uh, expresses skepticism of these people's odd stories and the terrible things that happen to them or the people they know. Um, but over time, you start to see a pattern. And uh, over time, you start to discover that there are these forces that exist um, that are not, well, they, humanity, they like humanity just fine for lunch. Um, and, you know, our, our souls are tasty and our minds are tasty and our fear is tasty and our blood, you know, pretty much we're, we're tasty all the way around. But, sure. the, but each of these, each of these forces feeds off a different aspect of us. So some will feed off our fear of enclosed spaces. Some will fear off, feed off of, um, our, well, the lonely. They have, they have, they have names. So it's like the lonely and the void, um, and uh, the flesh, which in a horror context, let your mind, let your mind wander. It's going to go in the same places here. It's a really creepy show, um, and it's extremely well written. And the Jonathan Sims is also the writer of the show, and so he's written this five year arc for the characters and um, with the exception of a few things that had to shift because they have a, uh, each season they have a really great behind the scenes episode right. where they talk about production of the season sure. um, <clears throat> and aside from some casting changes they had to make because of people leaving or moving or whatever the show has actually stayed pretty close to its five year plan and um, it's really really well done it's probably one of the best podcasts on on the internet right now in terms of your um, existential horror, your, you know, your Lovecraftian entities kind of things. Um, extremely well done. Uh, and luckily, um, while so much of what is going on for production schedules being disrupted, of course, with all of this, they actually had finished recording season five. Um, and so they are actually able to go, they're in post-production on these episodes now. So they had planned to release it, and they, they think they can stay on schedule for releasing the show. Um, and considering that it has run, again, we're coming, you know, this is the fifth year, and it's kept the quality that it's had. Uh, I think there's maybe been one clunker, as far as I'm concerned, in, in a lot of episodes. Um, definitely definitely uh worth checking out and if you are a lovecraft fan if you are if you are looking for good quality lovecraft audio there's a ton of it online um but the bbc uh is has finished their second season and is third season i don't have the date yet for when it's coming out for a show called the whisperer in darkness and like um some of these other shows it's it's set up as being a real life investigative news show uh, where these two uh, investigative reporters set out to tell the story of a mystery and follow it to its conclusion. And the first season is called The Case of Charles Dexter Ward. 
Now, this is set in modern day. So what they've taken is they've taken the Lovecraft story and they've updated it for modern audiences with a modern, it's set in the modern time. Yeah. And basically has it unfold in the same plot points as two investigator reporters trying to put these stories together. So if you're familiar with that particular story in Lovecraft, um, there's people whose behavior suddenly changes, people who disappear, um, you know, missing bodies, all kinds of interesting things that from a, from a, uh, a mystery, as a reporter investigating a mystery, it fits really, really well. Um, the second season is called The Whisperer in Darkness. Uh, and again, takes the same kind of thing. People who's a, who, you know, who change suddenly, who disappear suddenly. And what they begin to do throughout the second season is tie these stories together into a larger story. So in much the same way that a lot of authors have taken the Cthulhu mythos and tied it into a coherent whole, something that Lovecraft didn't actually do a lot of in his own stories. Um, it was the later writers who did the same thing. It's another variation on that. Production value is really, really high. Performances are really, really good. Um, it's a mixture of British and American actors. And it is, uh, I have just finished the second season and I really enjoyed it. And I just started listening to it yesterday. Oh, so wow. I have binged something like 20 hours of, of uh, BBC audio in the last couple of days, maybe, maybe the last three days. And it's really good. I mean, it's one of those things where it's like to get to the next episode, you're like, push play, push play, push play. <laughs> it's, it's really solid. Um, and so I can highly recommend that one as well. Uh, and I've got more, I mean, but I could go on for a really long time here about this because I listen to a lot of podcasts. And, and I honestly, I stop listening to the ones I don't like. Yeah. So well, any ones that I would tell you about, I'd be like, this is a great one. And, and you talk about, um, oh, yeah, Robert, nothing like listening to Cthulhu during the apocalypse. Well, I mean, so it's so very appropriate. Spoiler alert um, for both uh, the Magnus Archives and, of course, uh, the BBC's show. Um, they're about stopping the end of the world. So, you know, at some point in the course of the series, you might get the end of the world. Just, you know. You know. <laughs> Uh, speaking of shows that have continued and the question as to whether or not they should or not, um, there is ours and, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to put this up here on the screen for those who are watching, uh, on the show. Uh, we have, uh, the archive and I put the link in the menu over on our .com. So if you go to sci-fi for me.com. The H2O one to one fifty tab right there that will take you to this page where you have a link to the first hundred and fifty episodes of our show, um, and let me see if I can get to the right. Let me click here, click here. So episodes one to fifty are in reverse order. Uh, so you have to scroll down to the bottom because that's where our Santa Claus is a Time Lord. Look at how young we look. <sighs> oh yeah, I've gotten yeah. a lot grayer in the last five years. And, yeah. and, uh... Well, this was uh, this was over seven years ago now. Mm -hmm. uh, so you've got the first fifty are there, and then uh, the second fifty and the third fifty. Um, and that takes us up through um, 
No, when, let's see, the 150 was... How long ago was that? That was that was a couple of years. It was, yeah. And then we picked back up. You did, we did eight episodes of the Tim Harvey Show, uh, and then we picked uh, up uh, our stuff uh, back uh, with a hundred and. I have to see what was our when we brought everything back. We were at a hundred and sixty-five, I think. If I remember right, and so there, there are a few episodes that are kind of in between, in the middle there, um, that uh, are sitting there somewhere. And there's a couple of them, uh, a couple of the audio files. Now this is back when we were doing just audio, and we had started right. recording. And um, for uh, later it, episodes, we came back and started doing. Uh, video as well because why not we've got a YouTube channel let's put some content on there mm -hmm. and so uh, the later shows uh, are both we've got video and audio and let's see here the we came back at a hundred and sixty four so a hundred and I, I've so we've got four or five that are not archived on the site anywhere that I need to, pro I probably need to put that up somewhere. Um, but if you go in, uh, here's one of the playlists. Uh, this is the 2019 playlist. So this is when we came back and then, uh, there's a 2020 playlist that has this year's stuff starting in January. So, um, we're still going, this is 219 and I don't know. We'll have to see how, how much longer it lasts, but, uh, but there as is long, that. As long as we enjoy ourselves. <laughs> that's how it is. That's, that's how it is. And of course, everybody is, in, is invited to go check out sci-fi for me.com where you can get, we're, we're doing our best to stay up to date as far as posting some different news articles. We haven't gotten, uh, we haven't gotten very good at it yet because, uh, we've been concentrating a lot on our video, uh, aspect of things. Um, but lately we have been posting updates on all of the Comic-Con cancellations. So that's, that's our big focus right now is, uh, keeping up to date on all of that and uh, so all of the video that we do is embedded over there and the articles as we're able to get to them are there as well just gonna let you vamp for a minute because i need to go find out what the noise that happened in the other room was ah sure since i have <laughs> new apartment those of you who are who pay attention to such things uh and the cats are still finding things to knock over <laughs> as Your they do right yeah. Okay. Well, let's see here. So, uh, okay. So I will vamp just for a little bit. So basically, um, this show is available, not only just the, the video for those of you who are brand new to this, uh, we have been going, going at this for quite a while. Tim and I used to have conversations. We both were part of the local, uh, independent film community. And after the weekly meeting of all of the people, the networking groups, uh, we would sit and we would talk about all of this stuff and uh, we 
finally decided, you know, we should be recording this. So it started out as an audio podcast. Um, I'm going to go ahead and not only plug this, but I'm going to uh, mention the podcast that Tim and Dustin Adair are uh, hosts on. It's called Zompocalypse Now, which is... uh, uh, basically, it's a horror commentary podcast, mostly focused on the Walking Dead shows, but uh, they do talk about other uh, other things there. Um, and let's see here. There's. Um, let me do this. Let me grab this. I'm going to uh, take a moment here, and I will plug my book, The Hero at the End of His Rope. I don't normally do this, but since everybody is looking at all of the different things that are out there and people are plugging their own stuff, then uh, why not? It is available on Amazon and Barnes & Noble, so that's, that's my claim to fame. Um, and it's it's an okay book. I've had some favorable comments on it. I had somebody I had somebody the other day read it and said, "You got a thing for redheads, don't you?" I'm like, "What? What? Where did that come from?" Just because the lead character is a redhead. So. Just because. Yeah. So. So the good news is, is that nothing is broken. That's good. What's the bad news? Um, well, so new apartment, new blinds. Yeah. Uh, the cat's already murdering the blinds. <laughs> what can you do? Yeah. So well, have you have you seen have you seen the news uh, the the Ezra Miller thing? Have you seen that? Uh yeah. Um. From what I can tell, and I haven't seen anything, I, I just saw a story earlier today. Um, there's some question as to what it actually is. Well, Variety looked into it. Uh, the article that I read said that they had gotten in touch with the people that were that actually were were making the video, mm-hmm. uh, and they got in touch with the the bar where this incident happened. Uh, for those of you who have not seen it yet, um, Ezra Miller, who plays the Flash in the DC. Uh, extended universe movies uh, he was at a bar in Iceland in Reykjavik and these fans apparently were joshing around or you know whatever making making jokes and, and what and s- said something to the effect of well I could take you on and Ezra Miller apparently was drunk and grabbed the girl by the throat and body slammed her basically took her down to the ground and there's only a seven second video that's available and as soon as as soon as she goes to the ground they stop filming they're like hey wait whoa hold on so the word is according to the variety article you know they reached out to the bar they did confirm it was ezra miller he was drunk uh, at least as far as they could tell and he was escorted out. So this was not a stunt. This is not a. This was not a gag. Um, now the other part of that story that I'm seeing, possibly. Now again, a lot of this, 
being a responsible journalist, we say allegedly, um, but uh, the the people that were giving him a hard time apparently were rather aggressively giving him a hard time. So it, there could be there could be fault on both sides. I don't know. I haven't seen all of the details on this yet. It's still it's still one of those things where when it first comes out, everybody reports, and then three days later it's a completely different story so we right. haven't done anything with it yet i'm still kind of just eyeballing it and and keeping aware but oh sure that if if that turns out to be that's actually what happened um yikes i wouldn't i mean yeah, especially considering that he's from what i understand and i'll be honest i have not followed his career all that much in depth um and but from what I understand is that he's generally regarded as being a really nice guy who people seem to really like who know him. So the question, I mean, you know, and that doesn't necessarily mean, you know, people people do dumb things all the time. Nice people do incredibly stupid things, especially um, when they get drunk, especially when they get drunk. And so, I mean, but again, not knowing the situation, um, it's one of the, it is an unfortunate thing to, uh, that that sort of stuff can can damage careers um you know and given how much you know the the whether or not the flash movie is happening and whether or not who's directing it and all the different things i mean it could yeah. be it could... what i find interesting is the the chatter on twitter is It's, it's one of those things that makes me f uh, feel old <laughs> because uh, there's the story Ezra Miller appears to have choked a fan and body slammed her to the ground. And the reaction is, oh, I can't believe he did that. And the bulk of the thread is a bunch of keyboard warriors uh, on behalf of Ezra who are offended that you're using the wrong pronouns for Ezra Miller because apparently Ezra Miller prefers they and a lot of people are saying he and how dare they misgender him and use the wrong pronouns it was like wait a minute wait a minute Ezra Miller attacks somebody in a bar and you're worried about what pronoun we're using. Got it. Well, just, you know, the, it flabbergasts me that that becomes the focus of the discussion, but that's not rather that's than not. the behavior of the person involved and say, hey, yo, hey, he did the thing. Let's well, talk about the thing. But it's, people it's just dumb. But that's what I mean. That's that's what the internet is for. I mean, the number of people who defend other people's behavior without knowing the facts or without knowing anything about or the thing that they decide to focus on it isn't new it isn't you know um yeah. not limited to, to certainly not limited to ezra miller but well and the funny thing was is they, they weren't even defending his behavior they were just they were just focused so much on the pronouns that everything else fell by the wayside which i think is well, ridiculous well and i think there's something to that because, quite frankly, I don't, I, I was not aware that Ezra Miller preferred those pronouns. I, I wasn't uh, either, but. And, 
it's not and, and it's also, not ger- but see the thing is it's not germane to the to the topic no it isn't, no, it isn't. The, but there's also i've also seen a lot of backlash um um with folks and again i just i cheerfully limit my twitter use to a very narrow band um <laughs> I have a Twitter account for my day job. I have a Twitter account that for the Zompocalypse Now podcast. I have my own personal Twitter account, which is pretty much promotes the Zompocalypse Now podcast. That's about right. all I do with it. Um, when I remember to do that, yeah. which is not all the time. Um, and I listen, I follow like, I follow a bunch of people. Accounts I actually look at <laughs> is very, very small. Um, mostly because I, 240 characters, is you know nothing it's nothing you know there's it's having it's very very easy on twitter for people to say something and not realize what it sounds like because they tried to fit it into a character count yeah and people of course you can't hear sarcasm or you can't hear uh you know um emotion of any kind well that's what emojis are for yeah but you know what (laughs) Emojis are emojis are a nice little tool, and sometimes they're fun, and sometimes they're cute. But quite frankly, yeah. um, so you know, the good news is is that I'm surviving just fine without uh, being on Twitter all that much. It's not hurting me deep down inside uh, to not be on there very much. You're missing out. You're missing out. I tell you. Well, you know what? If people enjoy it, they are welcome to. <laughs> Uh, personally, my experience with Twitter has a whole bunch of people who don't know what they're talking about, acting like authorities. Um, and then when people who actually do have the experience uh, point out that they're wrong. Yeah. And I and that's my experience several years ago. I'm presuming it hasn't gotten any better. Oh, no. It's, it's gotten <laughs> much worse. Much so, worse. It is. It is like, I, I have. Well, I've said this before about all of social media it is a dumpster fire all you have to it's it's a segmented dumpster fire pick your social media and choose what fuel you're going to put into the dumpster fire but it's all the dumpster fire yeah i uh not the only folks i pay attention there's a there's a a a twitter account called bad legal takes Mm. and it's um because of course people have people will very often say the law says yeah that's uh, they're called law twitter now well yeah but i mean no you know people who who people who don't know the law will say well yeah. this is illegal law, and law then, twitter and then well everybody that well, has an opinion on the law well falls into okay. that whether they've got a degree in it or not is, is but bad legal takes is actually where the where the worst of these end up <laughs> and so and some of them are very entertaining yeah because someone will sit there and go you know this is against the law. And it's something that clearly anybody with like a civics, you know, high school civics class will know is not against the law or something. And it's just like, well, how can me, you, what's you, what are you, how do you, let me, let me, let me stop you there because nowadays they don't teach civics in high school anymore. I mean, we had the government classes. They don't teach that in, in school anymore very much. So. Well, your, base, your basic American history class will suffice for most of these really, really bad legal opinions. But that's, like I said, there's, there's not a lot else. I mean, and I don't, even, I don't even go to bad legal takes more than like once a week and sit there and look at like, you know, the, the most recent five things they have. Yeah. You know, and, then, and I giggle and I move on because, you know, that's other things to do with my time (laughs) 
Now, the downside of that, of course, is uh, in this time, Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and all these other social media platforms are how people are staying connected um, when they're stuck in. Um, I was Like I was telling you the other day, I, I, I did a, uh, a Zoom call with a group of, of people that I don't talk to very often. Right. Uh, uh, on on Friday night, and it was really nice. It was a nice way of connecting with people. Um, and so, if you are enjoying Twitter, if you're getting something out of it, if you're not a horrible person on Twitter, then I also they say all power to you. Um, it's just you know, not everybody has to like Twitter. <clears throat> and I'm one of those people. I don't like it um, at all, uh, but I I have to pay attention to it because of. You know everything that we do mm, so sure. you know i'm i'm like really really annoyed pretty much most of the day <laughs> so, yeah, so yeah. you know just that's what it is it is what it yep. is so anyway. now um because twitter is not really genre although it is no, you it's know, not. it is a maybe one of the circles of hell um which strictly speaking could be genre that could be horror uh, um, the uh, uh, there are a few there are a few films that I came up with as well for th- films if you have not seen them or even if you have you should actually watch these now that you got to, if you're stuck at home and you need something to do I have some thoughts I have some films that you should watch if you have not yet watched them and some of these I think you will probably agree with me Jason okay the Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai. Yes. If you haven't seen it, folks, you need to see it. You're never getting a sequel. Well, <laughs> you know maybe. One of these days. After all the cast has passed away, it'll be a reboot and we won't like it. Well, that's true. <laughs> but no, it's a, it is a cheerfully odd movie. There is no question this film was made by people who were having a fantastic time. Um, but it is a very, very odd film. And it's just a lot of fun. <laughs> it's just so much fun. And if you haven't seen it, it's got Peter Weller and Clancy Brown, uh, John Lithgow, Jeff Goldblum. Um, uh, oh, for heaven's sake, I just drew a blank on the actress. Ellen Burstyn. Ellen, Ellen Barkin. Ellen Barkin. Um and it's just a fantastic cast. And Jamie Lee Curtis in the it, it, in the cutscene. Yeah, it's a it's it's and it's very much a genre film. It's a science fiction movie, <laughs> and a lot of other things actually. Uh, but uh, uh, I keep running into people who haven't seen it. And robert says twitter is is basically the invasion of the body snatchers brought online and made pseudo real life i i can i can yeah that sounds about right um and if you happen to be a james gunn fan if you enjoyed the guardians of the galaxy movies you need to watch sliver which is his body horror comedy sort of movie with Nathan Fillion and uh, a really fantastic cast. Um, Another film that is uh, it goes places you don't expect it to. Yeah. And uh, it's wicked funny. And it's one of those films that sort of just flew under the radar. I feel a lot of James Gunn fans know about it and who actually follow him as a director because 
a lot of the same kinds of humor that made it into Guardians of the Galaxy is in Slither. And it's very much a... Um, it's almost a David... It's like, what if David Cronenberg had a sense of humor? <laughs> I mean, and David Cronenberg has an incredibly... David Cronenberg has a great sense of humor if you actually pay, listen to the man talk. Uh, it's not the movies that he makes. Yeah. This is basically like, you know, what if you... Uh, what if you took some of his 1980s body horror movies and then made it a comedy? Um, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a very odd film, but it's a lot of fun to watch. Uh, Robert in the chat was talking about Kevin Smith getting a deal for Buckaroo. Actually, he did not get offered the deal. He had the idea. We had talked about this. Oh, wow. What, how, how long ago was this now? It's been um, a few years. What happens uh, uh, with Buckaroo Banzai is the guy who created it, if I'm remembering right, the guy who created it lost his mind and committed suicide. This, this is right, right? This is, this is the story so. of that? Okay. And somewhere along the way, he sold certain rights and somewhere along the way he sold other rights and there are no records that he kept that anybody can find on who actually owns what now some studios make the claim that they have certain rights i think mgm is one of them but there are uh there's documentation ish that more that more than one studio may have been sold the rights so there's there's a very very terrible lack of a paper trail to figure out exactly who owns what and since he didn't keep any records and since he essentially lost his mind and and killed himself there's no real way of knowing Who's got the rights now? Kevin Smith was uh, was negotiating. He did have, he thought at the time he had the television rights uh, from MGM, I think, and so he was developing the deal. And then, legal department or somebody came in and said, "Okay, hold on, wait a minute. We don't actually know if we really have the rights or not." So the whole thing fell apart because basically nobody knows who's got permission to actually do anything with it. Well, and of course, what happens in a situation like that is that if someone thinks that they might, they go, well, they, they attempt to, you know, protect their legal rights and then the lawyers get involved yeah. and it gets, and, and one of the, one of the uh, people that I do occasionally follow on Twitter, Twitter talks about copyright law and, you know, who owns what, and there's a lot, I mean, it's far vaguer than you think it you no. might think that it is legally legally there's a lot more gray area in things like copyright law and rights to anything well um, it's, it is in in buckaroo Banzai's case the it's complicated by the fact that the guy who wrote it makes the claim that he only sold film rights to the first story and then you have the you know, he he claims according to his documents and i think he's got a pretty strong argument but his his case is that he owns the entire buckaroo bonsai franchise and who made the first one did mgm who made the first 
Buckaroo Banzai movie. His argument is that they only paid for the rights to the first film, and it and and they make the claim that it was a work for hire and they own it. So there's this all back and forth. I own it. No, I own it. No, we own this and they own that, and and nobody nobody has got any kind of a a a, a definitive defensible ironclad argument for I own these rights and we can do what we want. So uh, it was pitched to MGMUA and then it went to 20th Century Fox. Okay. Cause I was thinking that MGM was making a claim at some point as part of uh, all of this. They might have actually had, um, because they, they had, they optioned the rights to begin with. Didn't they? If I remember right, because they they optioned the rights, he wrote the script. I think the producer took, if I remember right, the producer who they went to at MGM UA and went to 20th Century Fox and worked with it. Okay, all right. But yeah, but the fact that he wrote the script, um, MGM or Paramount, whoever, says, well, they wrote it for us. When he says, no, I wrote it because they liked the world that I had already created and they just bought the rights to this one script and not the entire IP, you know, the entire intellectual property. He's making the claim that he still owns it. So I don't think that we're ever going to get another Buckaroo Banzai. So savor and enjoy the one that we do have. Yeah, all I mean, you're um, gonna get. Yeah, and and unfortunately, um, while while a significant chunk of the cast went on to very successful careers, um, this was a 1985 movie, and so most of them are quite a bit older. Yeah, and uh, you know, I mean, you Clancy Brown, of course, is this is become you know he certainly has had a long career in genre stuff, but there's uh you know the the idea that he and Jeff you're gonna get him and Jeff Goldblum. And Peter Weller and Ellen Barkin, um, all back into the same room uh, to do, you know, a movie. They might get back in the right same room to do a, a commentary. Or that, or that would be a heck of a panel, wouldn't it? Oh, that'd be great. I would love that. Uh, to have them all sit there and do the thing with that, that would be that'd be fantastic. Uh, but I don't see it happening. Uh, Christopher Lloyd, um, Jeff Goldblum, Ellen Barkin, John Lithgow, Peter Weller, um, Clancy Brown. Um, yeah, Yakov Smirnov. Was he in that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, he was the national security advisor. Oh, that's right. That's right. I forgot about so, him. Um, I think. Fun. Uh, it is one of those movies that, quite frankly, if you, uh, uh, it was not necessarily a hit in its own time. It became a cult classic very quickly. Yeah, uh, it was another one of those films that <clears throat> exploded on video. It just—I mean, video was, you know, the save—the saving grace of getting it out into the world and giving people a chance to sit there and go, "You have to see this movie; it's crazy." <laughs> <laughs> but it was so much fun. So much fun. Oh yeah, it was. And we've seen that a lot with we've seen that a lot with genre films, though. We talked about that before, which is you know the they are not necessarily uh, uh, box office hits. Yeah. But they've had staying power in terms of audiences enjoying them for years and years to come. Is Peter Weller on social media? You know, I have no idea. 
I don't either. Well, I'm going to have to look in, look into that because it wouldn't that be a hoot if we could put together a virtual Oh yeah, uh, a Buckaroo Banzai virtual panel. That would be fantastic. I think uh and and of course I said all all of the this cast has gone on to do, you know, fantastic work in genre and out. I mean, yeah. Jeff Goldblum has become all the memes. <laughs> um, you know, Christopher Lloyd, of course, uh, is, is his storied career. John Lithgow, um, you know, just producing quality work year after year. Ellen Barkin, um, she's got, uh, what is it? O- is it Ozark? Is the name? What's the show? Is she, she on that one? No, um, no, it's Wild, not Ozark. Wild Animals. Yeah, Wild Animals. I mean, yeah. she's, but that got canceled. Yeah, I think, I think it did, yeah. but still, it, uh, you know, she's been getting a lot of acclaim for her stuff, uh, in the last few years and considering you know the standard the standard hollywood model of of if you're a woman of a certain age you know we don't need we don't need you to be the star of a show she's doing pretty good with yep. getting out there and, and leading cast which is great because i've always enjoyed her as a she's always been just I mean, she's got a lot of she's got a distinctive um presence which is really which is really nice i think it would be fun to do maybe a watch along where oh, uh, we can sit there and go, okay, everybody hit play mm-hmm. now and do that. So I was thinking, I was thinking about that from from the Zoom angle with the stuff that I was doing with my friends the other night, and I was considering the possibility that we may, because you and I both have Zoom account, professional Zoom accounts, mm-hmm. so that might actually be something that we might want to try and do. Because here's the fun thing: is if you and I. You and I, both of our accounts have a hundred person caps, right? Yeah. Mine, mine caps is a hundred. Unless you, unless you, unless yeah. you're. Yeah, I think we've got the same. So, if we could get something going and we could actually time it right and set it up, we could have a two hundred person audience for a live watch along. I don't know that we could. How how would how would we do that? Well, basically. Um, Logistically, we'd have my say my say my Zoom account on my on my computer, right. your Zoom account on your computer, <laughs> and then one of us would call in with our phone, and so we'd be connecting the two calls. I mean, it, it wouldn't it wouldn't be like you know because a completely smooth thing, but I mean there'd be uh, ways. Right. To make it work. Uh, uh, we'll have to we'll have to think about that because. Um... I'd say we start with one call initially to see if we can get a get sure, a, you get, know. a get a get a few, get a hundred people on. Uh, and then do just, we just know a hundred people. Yes, we do. <laughs> um, whether or not they want to come and come watch a movie with us is another story. Yeah, there is that. Well, whether or not they want to watch Buckaroo Banzai with us would be right. Sure. Thing, but. but here's the thing: is that um, you know we could still watch it though. Sure. If they don't want to show up and enjoy the film, that's their that's their law. <laughs> I, I can't help them if they don't show up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> let's uh, let's uh, let's look at that. Let's see if we can figure that part out, and and maybe in a week or so. Yeah, I think it'd be, it'd be a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, another one that I was another film that I was thinking of that again people haven't seen uh, in a long time um, or haven't seen at all. Uh, especially if you happen to be, if, if you're missing, if you're missing Game of Thrones, if you're missing, you know, sort of a me- medieval fantasy mm. kind of story, might I recommend Lady Hawk? 
Ah, very good. Very, very good movie. Um, which, um, well, let's see. Uh, it's a little bit, of, it, it's very much a fantasy film, uh, but it's a little bit of a comedy as well in the, in the form of Matthew Broderick, basically playing a trickster character. Um, Rutger Hauer and Michelle Pfeiffer playing the leads, actually, of the film. Um, and um, it is, it's, it's a medieval fantasy. And it's very good. Uh, and I don't think it's, I think a lot of people talked about it when Rutger Hauer passed away. Uh, a lot of people were like, oh yeah, Lady Hawk, that was wonderful. Because it was one of the films that, it, you know, it, in many ways he, was, he played against type. He played very much his type, but also against type in that film. Um, and um, uh, it's a film that I don't think gets enough, enough uh, repeat watching in this day and age. Along those lines, there is a movie um, that came out in 1986 called The Name of the Rose. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's not... Uh, may, maybe genre-ish? Well, it's, a, it's, a, it's essentially primarily a mystery. It's based on a novel. Um, but uh, in terms... And, and it's one of those films that if you take the novel and the film and put them side by side, the novel's definitely going to win, but it's a matter of depth, what the novel can go into that the film can't, yeah. but the film's really good. Yeah. Uh, Sean Connery and a very, very young Christian Slater. Right. And if there's actually a remake, I want to say there's a TV British series. TV series, yeah. which I've seen mixed reviews on, so I cannot say for sure whether it's worth checking out. Um, I've seen some. I've seen some. Pretty much all over the scale, folks who really think it's good, and some folks who think it's just slow. Uh, <laughs> um, and well, you know, you've got eight episodes. Sometimes you only yeah. need six. Yeah. <laughs> so, or three. That's <laughs> true. That's true. Uh, and so, I, but I, I can't. I can't say for sure. And some folks. Some folks. The idea of something unfolding slowly is just miserable. Oh yeah, and there are times I sit there and go, "Oh no, keep going slowly because you're giving me all you're giving me all this great stuff that you know." I, and that's I, some of that is I think comes out of being a big reader, where you actually are sure. used to taking your time with the the, the material. Oh yeah, um, yeah, no, no, definitely, Robert. That's an excellent ex uh, selection. If you happen to be a a, a mystery fan. Um, the, the Brother Cadfull series. Um, there are, well, if you have any mystery fan, the BBC's got a ton of great stuff. Um, and a lot of stuff that the BBC has available to watch. Um, what you mean, if you've got, if you've got BBC America, but a lot of that stuff actually has made its way to YouTube. Yeah. Uh, a lot of the classic stuff. And it's definitely worth checking out. If you want to see the original house of cards series, which I think is better than the American version. Um, there's nothing wrong with the American version aside from Kevin Spacey being creepy, but um, he's a, he, he still has some amazing... There are times he's an amazing actor. He can't get around that fact. But the original British House of Cards, again, it was very much the difference between British politics and American politics. Mm. Uh, the adaptation is actually pretty clever for the American version, but the original British version... Um, 
the British relationship with their political leaders is got a different vibe than Americans relationship with their political leaders. So it's, it's got a certain, it, the flavor is different, right? Um, but it's really, really good. Not genre specifically, um, but, but just fantastic uh, right. performances. And there's just something creepier with a British accent with all the things that, <laughs> that happen in that show because everyone knows the British make the best villains. That's why, that's why every Nazi in movies speaks with a British accent. Absolutely. Well, I mean, Hans Gruber. Oh, yeah. So. Well, I mean, you know, it wasn't exactly an English accent that uh, uh, he was he was rocking in that one either. Uh, there's been quite a few people who have pointed out over the years that uh, based on his accent alone, no one's sure where Hans Gruber is really from. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's it's one of those... Um, uh, ubiquitous, just just blends of all the different accents, so he can mm -hmm. be from anywhere. So, oh yeah, no kidding. Um, Robert, another one you might check out if I can get this uh, right here. Um, if you like that sort of thing and you want uh, a good British show about politics, that is. Funny. Um, uh, Malcolm Tucker, uh, in the thick of it. The thick of it is the name of the show. Uh, in the loop was the uh, movie. It was a TV movie um, where Peter Capaldi, before he played the Doctor, was uh, known in British television circles for playing the extremely foul-mouthed uh, and manipulative and perhaps a little bit sociopathic um, political maestro of a British political party. Uh, and uh, But there's actually more to the character than what it initially appears. Um, when Capaldi was first cast as the Doctor, there were a lot of very amusing mashup videos <laughs> where, um, especially in his first season, this stuff would pop up where it'd be the Doctor, you know, telling the Daleks to... Yeah insert your 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 selection of words but the thing was is that capaldi swears like an art form i mean he makes it's 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 fascinating very, very people were always kind of amazed at the way he was able to use cursing almost like poetry it was so odd and and you know capaldi's just a fantastic orator i mean the way because but but yeah, I mean, that's one of the things that made the show such a success was the fact that, you know, <laughs> this shouldn't be as funny and as charming as it is, but it is. Uh, but yeah, it's definitely worth, definitely worth checking out if folks haven't seen it. Um, and and you don't mind. Folks do. And that's fine. You know, it's not it's not you know, it's not for everybody, um, but it's, it's certainly it's not for Picard. <laughs> uh, well, it would it would be a very different show if if. Uh, we have yet to have a Star Trek show that was good, go quite the lengths of, of the thick of it in terms of... of well, of, that's of, true, but there are some who believe that Picard has gone quite far enough in that sense. So, um, Yeah, but I also, as, as someone who... The older I get, the more I personally find the impact of swearing to be less 
Well, is that, is that because you have finally gotten so desensitized to it that... No, I, mean, I don't think so. Uh, I mean, I, because in my own personal use of swear words, um, I know why I use them and I know where I use them. So, I mean, the, to my own personal usage, it's a very targeted thing. Um, for a lot of, whether it's, when it comes... <laughs> And some of this, this is like a broader subject, um, but it's like it's like with the 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 rating system, the MPAA, right? Mm. Um, it's so it's so capricious, it's so inconsistent. Yeah, and it's uh, very subjective. Uh, and it's super subjective. Yeah. And so uh, over time, I have found that a lot of people have, and, and it, it certainly it certainly it's a, it, some of it's a generational thing. A lot of people use it as punctuation, and so it loses its meaning. It loses what it's. It's what it's for. And the other thing is, is that I watch a lot of British programming and their swearing is different. And it means different things, even though we share some of the same swear words. They don't mean the same thing. Right. Um, and so to some degree, if a word can mean like two or three different things, and if it's a swear, if it's a curse word that actually has two definitions separated only by an ocean, it's just sound. So, I mean, like I said, you know, that's just a personal opinion. It's just it's just something that I'm noticing as I'm getting older. It's just like you're making noises with your face, whatever. Well, and I think I think what bothers me most about it being in Picard is that it's supposed to be a Star Trek show. And for the last 50 some odd years, um, at least before 2009, especially, but some of that, um, Star Trek has always been a family show. And something you can sit and watch with your with your family is it's not necessarily a family show like like Full House or Family Matters or Different Strokes or whatever, but it's it's appropriate enough that if everybody in your family is a Star Trek fan, whatever their age, we can all sit down and watch it. And Picard isn't that. And Discovery, I haven't, you know, like I said, I haven't watched Discovery that much. And it, it, it seems to me that it wouldn't be that way either. But the question I, the, my, my, my thought on that, and and I have my issues with Picard. And like, and I've, you know, I've said, like I've said before, the first season of Discovery was really, really rocky television. Mm. I thought the second season was much stronger. It's not a perfect show, but the second season's an improvement. Um, you know, is not every iteration of a kind of programming is for everyone and that's this there's this there's this viewpoint in fandom that i think is is not necessarily healthy which is thinking that everything is for you yeah but everything is and quite frankly um you know sometimes it's you know the the tension between what the creators want to do and what the fans want them to do we haven't found that balance and, and you don't want to you don't actually you don't actually want a balance you actually want the creators to make the shows that they want to make, and the, or the programming, or the, or the books, or the comics. The question is, is whether or not you have to enjoy everything that they do. And personally, again, things I can't get worked up about. Yeah. I just, I mean, it's like there were parts of Picard. I, th I thought the season was really interesting. There were scenes I really, really enjoyed. I think there was some really clunky storytelling in there too. 
Um, but I think there were some really great moments of, of just fun uh, uh, Star Trekian moments and some real drama. The language doesn't bother me as much because I, again, it doesn't it doesn't bother me. Um, but you also you know had moments where you know um, you had swearing in in the Star Trek movies. It was different swearing. Yeah, it wasn't as intense. It wasn't as well, yeah. But the other thing is is that you know there's there's certain words, and this is this is an entertainment overall thing. This isn't just a Star Trek thing. I know. This is this is a this is a thing where they save up certain swear words for maximum impact, right? And you see this, and it's again, and you come back to the MPAA and the whole, you know, we're going to get at the R rating, so we get to have we get to use the F word once, right? Yeah. And so we're going to save it for the thing. And you see this in television televised programming too. And I think that the my issue with where it was in the Star Trek in, in Picard was that it's used for emphasis and I get it but at the same time I don't know that they had to use that for emphasis it didn't bother me that they did because I don't care it's it's there it's there because they can it's oh it, hey we're not good. having to worry about ratings and we're not having just, to worry about the standards and practices department and so let's throw let's throw these f bombs in just because and so there's no yeah but I think also think that again it's the idea is the and and I I'm not going to say it's bad writing or sloppy writing it's just become a thing it's part of it's part of the media it's lazy writing it can be lazy writing but it could also be incredibly powerful if it's if it's used right, um, and I, the where where that is is a really good question, mm. because I think that some some um, you know uh, some characters saying there was a, there was a recent uh, I can't even remember what it was now where a character a character uh, in something said oh I know what it was again come back come back to the Magnus archives. Um, they have they have a rule that they get to swear they get to say a serious swear word once a season, mm. just once, no. and it's got it, and it's got to matter. It's got to have what that it has, you know, because quite frankly, um, the producer and the writer both think that, you know, what if we if it loses impact if you use it all over the place, and it diminish it diminishes who your audience can be, right? But if you sit there and go, okay, if the end of the world is suddenly happening, it's okay for your character <laughs> to say, oh, shh, you know, yeah. um, you know, because it's, it's, we, it, it's an understandable reaction. So it's save it up to where it matters. Save it to where it's going to have an emotional impact for an audience member, where they're going to sit there and react in a way. So, you know, I mean, it's, a, it's an interesting discussion um, because some of it is... Mm, you can argue very much that it's, you know, quite, it's unnecessary across the board, but at the same time, yeah, I, I get why people do it. Yeah. I get, I mean, it's. Robert, I'm going to, I'm going to let you know that I'm, I'm not going to, I'm not going to throw that comment up there because we are uh, talking about standards and practices. We try to stay PG-13 or better. So just, uh just to give you a little bit of a heads up, please. Let's let's mind our P's and Q's. 
Uh, but yes, uh, Robert, yes, Minister is another one. Yep. The Rise and Fall of Reginald Perrin is a unsung... Uh, I'm a child. I was a teenager in the 80s. PBS broadcast all these great British TV shows. <laughs> um, well, there's um, uh, Blake Seven. Blake Seven, yeah, which we've... You know, uh, for there's been talk about oh, again and again and again about getting a reboot or or, or a sequel, yeah. uh, bringing back some of the original characters. Um, the closest I think we're ever going to get to that is Farscape, because Farscape, in many ways, is a spiritual successor to Blake yeah, Seven. I can see that. I can see uh, that. And um, and or you know you've had you've had some of the stuff that sci-fi has done in the last uh, decade or so. Things like uh, oh. Dark Matter was a yeah. Blake Seven-ish kind of show. Um, there's, um, I think, I think Farscape probably captured the argumentative nature of the crew better than a lot of the other shows have, um, and the fact that they all turned into kind of a dysfunctional and very cool family. Yeah. Um, the C word, yes, that's 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 a word that uh, shows up in British uh, shows a lot more than American shows because it means something different. Again, it's a translation issue. Yeah, uh, both both in the same language, um, sharing a lot of the same. But but you know the British swear better than we do. Um, but they also use it much more commonly in regular speech, and that could also be a that's something else we have to bear in mind with. Uh, with Picard is that Patrick Stewart probably swears a completely different way than the rest of us, you know, American audiences do. Um, and considering he had, he had input on, on the stories, um, he may have uh, sat there and went, this is the perfect place to put this. Maybe. Don't know. Don't know. Don't know. We'll find out. I'm sure it's, there'll be a behind the scenes thing. They'll tell us all about it. I'm sure. Maybe. Um, the, the other thing that is, uh, not necessarily trending, um, but I'm I'm keeping an eye on it, and I'm seeing mentions of it over the last few days uh, in the comics industry. People are talking about what will save the comics industry when we come when it when it all comes back. Uh, and they keep talking about events, and I keep rolling my eyes because events are what got you in this problem in the first place. Don't do an event, and and now it's all of the all of the professionals have sat there and said, you know what? Okay, it's never gonna happen, so let's just let's just blue sky and let's just pretend if we're gonna do a DC Marvel crossover, everybody claim your crossovers, right? So so Twitter blows up with with all of these people sitting there going, Oh, I wanna do uh, Hawkman and Hawkman and the X Men or, you know, Superman and Captain America, or, you know, all these different ones. And so now you've got all these articles that are starting to creep out talking about how much of a great idea this would be this whole dc marvel crossover thing i mean here's you know comic book resources which i think they're aren't they owned by cbs now um they're you know sam stone dc versus marvel possible storylines for a new big two crossover it's like no the days of amalgam are gone do not seriously consider this idea comics world because this as many events as we have gotten in the last two years four years 
since New 52, five years. The problem is, is it's like, it, it's it's like a drug, man. Man, I, I, need, I need my event fix, man. I gotta, I gotta have it. I gotta have it. Man, hey, Do, hey, mister, have you got an event? I you know want, I, I want a moratorium on comic book, on comic book events, crossover events for at least two years once everything comes back. Because well, like nobody, to, the audience isn't going to be there for it. I'd like to be taller, Jason, but we just don't get what we want. <laughs> I am no. thinking. I am thinking about bringing my mirror universe goatee back. Then I have to shave mine off. Uh, well. um, but yeah, I mean, it's you know, uh, the 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 problem is is that the mo- the the purchase model that they have been seeing over all this time has been. Have the big event, people buy the comics, and the, the, but but it's all except it's short term. Yeah, but the retail numbers we don't know what the retail numbers are, and I have seen comments to the effect that digital sales are not what the publisher would make it out to be. They don't sell a whole lot in terms of digital copies, and now. You've got Diamond saying it's going to be five months before they can actually fully pay their bills. I mean, Diamond's done. If if well, if, if it comes back, it's going to be a hollow shell of itself. And isn't, and, isn't the and, major printer isn't the major printer for DC in Canada and it, they're shut down? I don't know. Um, I know I mean, that I know that some the- some of them the printer the print shops now. I know some printers depending on what else they print um, Mm -hmm. have been deemed because I know uh, uh, Peter Samedi over at Alterna says that their printer is still running because some other things that they print is is enough to get them considered an essential service for whatever else they do so Alterna is still able to crank out books and they're doing you know they do newsprint and they're doing a $1.50 $1.99 cover price as opposed to you know three four five six ten dollars for fewer pages and oh hey look you know the thing you know with these variant covers i mean marvel has been the worst offender and you hear everybody talk about how marvel has basically killed the industry dc didn't help either but marvel flooding the shelves with 50 variant covers and another number one and another number one and this crossover event and this big event and this number one and this new character and all this and the complaints that i've seen especially over the last year uh, about the predatory business practices that marvel has had where the retailers have to order a certain number of the main book in order to even get one copy of the variant cover and then you've got 12, 25, 50 variants. It's ridiculous. And Well, the, the, you know, the, the, the dumb thing about the variant cover is the same thing that was dumb about the variant cover in the 80s and 90s, especially in the 90s. Or lenticular covers or whatever, you know, the various... It's the fact that here's the thing, here, here's, the, here's the harsh truth, is that you know what those variant covers from the 90s are worth now? Not much. There you go. And so what but, benefit or, what benefit do you think you're going to get out of getting the variant covers to Captain America 397 or whatever? I mean, it's, what is it going to change? Well, and the and the thing is, well, see, 
depending on who's doing the artwork for the variant cover, there could be some value because, you know, a George Perez cover is going to be much more valuable than... But if there's twenty thousand George copies of the George Perez, yeah, it's, that's the problem. Is its is, value the, is, is it's it was yeah. it was a two fifty comic when it was published, and it's worth six fifty now. Yeah, and 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 that's part of the problem that we've got now is you've got so many variants of the same book, and they're all over the place. And then you look at the numbers that Comicron is tracking, and. You know, John Jackson Miller sitting over there saying, well, the comics comics industry was healthy before this quarantine situation. And you have to look at the sales numbers. And do you think, no, it wasn't. And the numbers that are that Comicron is tracking are the orders from the retail shops to Diamond. That's not how many actually sold to a customer and are now out on the street. You know, so there's this whole skewed sense of the performance of the comics industry to start with. Nobody knows what the actual numbers are. And right. you've got twelve to 1,500 comic shops that are now probably going to be less than that because how many of them have to close and won't open again. Sure. And how many of those are only making making enough to stay afloat because they're doing magic the gathering tournaments or they're selling funko pops and mm -hmm. you know you know, the 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 main two especially dc and marvel they're not making books that sell well i think that well they're they're people people were singing the deaths of the comics industry in the 90s and it did for a little while well, and, it, and and so I think we're going to, and it changed yeah. and turned into something that was not quite the same. And that's for good or for ill. And comic books, comic books are going to survive. What form they end up in, how they are distributed, all that stuff. I think that the curious thing that we're going to run into here is that there's a lot of question now about what, how things are going to be after all of this ends. Yeah. Anyway, what changes? What if you're if this goes on for a while? This goes on for months and months and months. And, you know, there's some of the, there's no there's no the, the 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 scary thing for a lot of people, of course, is that there is no good answer. Right. Personally, yeah. I don't think it's going to go much past if it goes past June. If it goes past June, I'll be surprised. I don't think it's going to even well, go that long. If it goes past June, then I think it's going to be very scary for all of us because it means that because it means that we're you know that, that a lot of people are going to be sick and dead and that's yeah. just well terrible. i think i think uh me me personally i'm, I'm going to choose to be an optimist uh, I, I, I hope i hope for the best myself honestly i th i think in the next you know by the end of april things maybe start to to come back maybe not 100%. Okay, everybody go back to work. But I think at, at, by the end of April, we'll have some sense of, okay, this could start up again. We could get this back. We can get this back. I'm already starting to see emails, uh, uh, notices of um, TV productions that are starting to, to ramp back up again. So if people are starting to realize that this thing isn't as hideously terrible a thing as they were made out to be because a lot of the numbers 
a lot of the actual numbers, and of course we still don't have all of the data that we need to, for all of this, for the tracking, but a lot of the actual numbers are not matching the projections. And well, they're coming in way less because New York was projected to have 50,000 infected by now, and they've only got 18,000. And, you know, there were supposed to be millions dead, and, and that number has gone right, down right, to, right. what, 80,000 is what people no are one, expecting no now? One, so. Okay, I'm see, I'm, I don't know where you're seeing those numbers because I'm seeing – completely different numbers and you're talking well, see, about yeah, that's my point is there every you're if, depending on where you look you're going to get a completely different set of numbers well the problem is the, the, the biggest problem right now is that we are we this is this is april this was first reported in just what the very end of december beginning of january yeah and we're getting information from a lot of different sources some of them less reliable than others you can't China, China is only going to give so much information. This, this should not have been a surprise to anyone that the numbers out of China would not necessarily be accurate. And, right. you know, um, but, you know, we're getting information. Out. We're getting information from a lot of different places. And depending on where it is, all these places are different in terms of population density, in terms of how they're handling the situation. Yeah. So your numbers aren't going to match. And then you get into places like New York or Washington or you know, um, Florida or all these different places where every governor is handling it differently. If it, and it's completely unrealistic to hope that everyone would do exactly the same thing so that we could sit there and go, this works, this doesn't. Yeah. The problem is, is we've got a bunch of different people all doing this all over the place. And so it's really tough to tell. So any model, it, the you can make certain assumptions with a model based on the information that you have and then someone doesn't do social distancing in nebraska at all yeah. and i'm just using an example and for folks in nebraska you you know <laughs> I, I honestly can't tell you what you're doing right now um well and the other thing too i i saw an article and i can't remember where i saw it um talking about uh, how uh some 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 reporting uh the the projection they're using a particular one i think out of university of washington or something where the projections were really high and as as the actual numbers the data comes in the projections apparently aren't being adjusted to match the to match the actual data that's coming in so the projections are still really high up and 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 crazy but the numbers aren't following any of the projections. And I think when you start getting into the comparisons of what we think might happen versus what's actually happening, you get a whole skew of well, reporting all over the place and nobody's getting it right. But you can't you can't plan for the best case scenario in a situation like this. No, you I know. To, I know. But the data but the data's the but the data that's coming in so far doesn't support the worst case scenario. The that's problem is saying. that but the thing is that we have like the US basically has like three weeks of actual data from the US. Which for health for a health situation is nothing. Yeah. I, mean, I, I still don't think it's gonna be as bad as everybody's making it out. Well, I hope it isn't gonna be as bad as it I, mean, I but again, you you have to plan for the worst in a situation like this because if you do the other way, you are gonna get a lot of people killed. I mean you can't you know if you sit there and if it, you you just there's no good way to do this. No, there's not, but this in the long run, this might not be the best way to do it. 
Um, I don't I don't know what the best way is. I'm certainly not any kind of an expert on any of that, but well, it's sometimes sometimes you have to make the best bad choice you can make because the alternative, if you get it wrong, um, you know, I mean, there's there's a whole lot of people who are finding out maybe it wasn't a great idea to keep getting together on on the beaches of Florida. Well, <clears throat> and and I think. I think the other thing too that's going to come out of this is maybe we don't rely on China so much for our manufacturing. Well, the hang on the other side of this, the, the United States at the, at the very least is going to look a little bit different than, than no what question. it did going into it. Well, and everybody is, yeah. and I think that that's the the sad part is is that it's going to be a thing that you know didn't come about because. We chose it. Yeah. Have you baked bread yet? I don't bake bread. <laughs> no. Um, see, there's this crazy thing that I can do, and that is I can go to the grocery store and I can <laughs> buy it. Yeah. For some reason, though, I mean, that seems to be uh, that seems to be a thing. Everybody is, I, is baking bread. It's like, okay, great, good for you. I'll tell you why. Uh, because I do enjoy cooking, um, but I don't. I, I when I cook for myself, I don't get. Every now and again, I'll make. I'll get elaborate just because I want to. You know. I'll, try something right i do enjoy yeah. i enjoy the process of cooking so i get it i completely understand the whole because bread making is a process sure so it gives you something to do and there's something satisfying about creating something and i mean i was a painter for a long long time i have a degree i have an art degree and you know so i mean i've got i've got paintings that i will be hanging on my walls of this apartment um that i've had for years are you actually going to hang them up now I'll hang them up oh yeah. good Okay. Um, and the, the well, there were a few of my paintings that were hanging up. In the wall yeah, I just, just didn't have that much wall space ultimately. <laughs> well, I didn't have wall space you can easily fit a painting into in some cases. No, that's true. Um, but uh, yeah, um, there's something satisfying, even even if it's not like a great work of art or a particularly attractive loaf of bread. There's something about the the art of creating something. Because uh, even if, the thing about a loaf of bread is even if it doesn't look good. It's still bread. Yeah. And it tastes like bread. <laughs> <laughs> and while there's a process to it and it takes some effort, I'm not saying you can't screw up bread. Because I have faith in the ability of people to make mistakes. Oh, yeah. You can do that. But it takes a def- – it almost takes effort to screw up bread. <laughs> and if and you know what? All power to you. If that is your goal <laughs> – Yeah. Your goal is to make inedible bread. Then I, I wish you the best of luck. But. So I I go out. Um, I'm I'm the errand runner uh, sure. for for a while now, and a lot of it is because um, uh, I, we there's less risk for me to go out because sure. nine times out of ten I never get sick. Um, so I'm out today, and I'm getting. Uh, I'm getting a couple of things, and I, I had to run to uh, had to run to Costco, and my mother-in-law had requested that I take a look and see if I could find some hand sanitizer because she she uses that quite a bit sometimes. Sure. And so I'm looking, and there's none at Costco. There's none at CVS. There's none at Target, and on a on a whim, just. Oh, I wonder. 
um, I went down, and I don't even know if I should give this away. It's a it's it's a trade secret. I may be I may be giving away too much here and ruining my chances of success again. Um, but I did manage to find some hand sanitizer in the baby aisle. Not anymore. Way to ruin it for everyone. <laughs> I know, right? Uh, but yeah, it's uh, I mean little bottles. Sure, but course. still, I'm like, well, you know, it's better than nothing. Uh, but yeah, I think it, the the run the run on cleaning supplies and toilet paper and all is just absolutely nuts and well, and you know, unnecessary too. I mean, people get scared. People get scared. I, I mean, get it, but you know, the zombie apocalypse was supposed to be all of us, you know, hoarding ammo and food, you know, canned food and you know, baseball bats and and gasoline but instead and in in the face of the actual apocalypse we're we're hoarding toilet paper it's it's embarrassing well but you know what i'd rather it be of all the things (laughs) we have to have if that's going to be it i mean you know if if the apocalypse comes and the biggest issue is you know where i can find toilet paper then i think we we dodged a uh a pretty uh Based on the movies, anyway, we managed to dodge a pretty nasty series of events. I guess I, th- I think my biggest concern is is the uh, is the economic recovery. I think uh, you know, sure. you know, going into it, you, I mean, it's just as much as a flu or or other thing. You're going to have people that die. I mean, that's you have to accept that fact right from the beginning. And as much as that's not a fun thought, it also there's there's the question of how much how much do we give up for up for a maybe, you know? Well, when other people's lives are on the line, other people that our friends and family's lives are on the line, and our loved ones' lives are on the line, personally, my answer is a lot. It's it's still, but see, it's still a maybe though. Well, it's but still a it might sure. be. It's a but. It's, it's, but every every dead person who has died, I think we've gone over what ten thousand so far, something like that. And and in how long a period of time? But how many of those are in a particular demographic and how many of those have comorbidities? And, you know, I mean, well, I mean, but see, this is it. It it factors into it because. No, these are lives. These are lives of people who didn't have to die. And these are people who lives who have families and friends. I'm not discounting that. But at the same time, the rest of the country who's who's not in that risk risk group. we have deaths in Kansas City. We have deaths in every state in this country right now from this disease. And they died in a very short period of time. So all the all the arguments about, here's the funny thing about the economy. You know what our economy is made up of? It's made up of ones and zeros. <laughs> we decide what the dollar is worth. It'll we come back, but the dollar, but see the thing about it is that there's gonna be a run on the dollar because we keep printing money and that's going to we're going to have but again again so. this is the, the 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 argument there again doesn't quite work because we decide what things are worth and what we have we control that 
to a we point. don't we don't actually have to be told what the dollar is worth we can well, sit there and go this is what it buys we just don't want to do it yeah but we if if we could get rid of the fed then we could have a little bit more decision making well and i I'm, and i personally don't think we need to get rid of the fed but the 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 thing is is that quite frankly every single person who makes it through this and who isn't dead at the end of this yeah. is a win as far as i'm concerned well, and I'm not going to argue with you there. I just, I just think that we're, we're the idea, the idea somehow the disease that moves through a society at the speed this is going, killing as many people as it's killing in the period of time that it is taking no. to kill people, that we somehow can sit there and say it's going to be okay tomorrow or next week, or the economy ma matters more. To me, well, now let me let me be clear. I'm not saying that the economy matters more. No, but the, and I, and I know but, you're not. There, but there are people who are. Well, which, uh, but I'm is. saying I'm saying that we are we are doing great harm to our economy in the long term. Uh, well, at least at the very least in the short term, we're doing harm to our economy based on assumptions and not facts. And that's part of the that's part of the the problem that I well, see. Well, but the the flip what, side of that is that we're is the, there's a flip side of that argument, which is, you know, we shouldn't do this stuff because we're making assumptions without facts. So the thing is, is that this is going to be something that will it's we'll be talking about it for a long time because of the imp the, the, the impact of, we won't know the impact of this for, for a very long time because right. if it is, if it ends up being a, a thing that stays in the populace that comes back again and again and again, like the flu does mm -hmm. or like some of the other things, I mean, it's a, you know, um, you know, uh, a lot of the rest, you know, SARS and MERS and all those other things, they aren't gone. Right. They cycle back through and we build up immunity to them or we find a vaccine and we do all the things, you know, we don't know what this one's going to do over time. And so this is going to be something that whether it's the economy or people's health or we end up dealing with something like this, that we can basically get a flu shot and find ourselves sick for a couple of weeks, but we're OK. And it doesn't kill us a year from now or two years from now or three years from now where the mortality rate falls to what we're used to for flu levels. Right. Um, it's going to take time. It's, going to, it's, it's all just going to take time. There's not going to be a, it, no matter what, it's not going to be done by Easter. Um, it's not going to be done by my birthday on May 31st. It's not going to be done by the 4th of July. This is, it's oh, not going to be. I think, I think, I think you might be surprised. I, I don't think it's going to last to July. I think it's, it's going to be. That's I, I would I would love for that to be the case. I have my doubts. <laughs> All right. Well, we will leave it at that, and uh, and then regroup next week with some other topics to talk about. Hopefully, something something other than uh, the end of the world. Uh, so we'll see. <laughs> Maybe. You know, it's at times of these you really want to license an REM song, and you just know you can't afford it. Oh, no, yeah, no, that's okay. Um, all right, well, uh, those of you who uh, have been watching tonight, thanks very much for joining us. If you are watching on replay, uh, feel free to leave us a comment and let us know your thoughts. on. And, and if you have recommendations of things for us to read or watch or you know, in, in, in that kind of thing, uh, feel free to leave those suggestions. 
you can also send us an email, h2o at sci-fi4me.com. And if you are so inclined and you would like to support us in a financial matter, uh, we are uh, we do have a, an account over at Subscribestar. And originally the idea was to start uh, raising some funds to help cover our live our live coverage of events. Um, but that uh, right now is, has not materialized. But uh, you can support our daily reports on the event cancellations that we have. Uh, we're almost to 400 uh, uh, different events that have either canceled or postponed or, or rescheduled. So, uh, so there is that. So, um, and then also don't forget 10% off when you use the promo code SciFi for me 10 when you check out at superherostuff.com. And uh, hopefully it won't uh, take three months for you to get your order. Um, just don't order socks, I guess. I, no, I... I yeah. <laughs> well, the Marvel socks... If I remember Robert's story right, the Marvel socks arrived before the DC socks did, and he ordered the DC socks first, right? Yeah, something like that. So anyway, okay. So uh, so next week, a, a different... Uh, a new topic, and... Uh, uh, in the meantime, uh, make sure you've got your notifications turned on. If you are subscribed, if you if you're new to the channel, uh, feel free to subscribe. Uh, make sure you have notifications on, and uh, we are all all pretty much all of the social media. You can find us everywhere, and uh, we will be back with another episode of this show next week and uh, the rest of the week. This week, we have Triple Bites, which is our Star Wars, our Star Trek news show tomorrow. Um, do we have, is this, where, where, do we have uh, tartar sauce this week? We should have tartar sauce have this tartar week. Sauce. So tartar yeah. sauce this week, uh, Friday night, Deep Space Minds, which is our Star Trek roundtable. And then, of course, Saturday morning, Good Morning Multiverse. And in the meantime, we will continue to update on Comic-Con cancellations and the collapse of the comic book industry. And, uh, and then we'll be back to do this again next week. Yeah. All right. Okay, thanks very much for watching, folks. Good night. Copyright 2020 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media.